Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by Associate Pastor Ian Mulraney. Well, here we are. The end of Ecclesiastes. Um, Ecclesiastes has been, fun might not be the right adjective to describe it, but it's been an educational book. <laughs> We've gotten to see how the teacher has talked about basically everything in this world is meaningless or like a vapor, or something that can't be grasped onto. All things come to an end. Uh, the things that we enjoy are ultimately fleeting. The things that, uh, you know, living righteously and doing what the law says doesn't guarantee success and prosperity. Um, that in your days on earth, you're probably going to find a lot of physical and emotional suffering. Wealth, justice, religion, none of these ultimately will get you to a place where your heart is totally content, that everything is meaningless and fleeting and has a short time here. It's all vapor. And so when we get to the end of the book, the ends of chapters 11 and 12, which Amanda just read, you see that starting in verse 9 of chapter 12, there's an epilogue tacked on. This is not written by the teacher because it talks about the teacher in third person, the teacher Koleth, who has written all these wise sayings and musings throughout the book. It's sort of tacked on, probably by a priest at some point uh, later. What this epilogue kind of says it. It holds up the teacher's sayings as wise, but it also kind of does an apologetics of sorts where it sort of says, well, not everything's totally meaningless, and remember to still love and serve God. And so, if you'll forgive me, I think I'm going to try and follow in this epilogue's pattern a little bit. I'm not trying to undo the wisdom that has come before or the other things that we've talked about, because those are true also. But I think this epilogue draws out a little bit of what the teacher has actually secretly believed all along, but hasn't actually outspoken. And I think that the teacher is actually really believes that God doesn't see anything as meaningless. There's a couple places we can see these uh, in uh, the rest of the book. In chapter 3, verse 17, the teacher says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Everything is meaningless, but yet the teacher really believes that ultimately there's going to be a judgment one day. He does it again in chapter 11, which we just read. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Go follow your heart's desires. But be careful about what you do. The teacher really does believe that there's a justice that God is ultimately going to bring. And that's what this epilogue brings out. The very last verse of Ecclesiastes ends with, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And so there's going to be a judgment. There's going to be accountability for the things that we do in this life. And so what that ultimately means is what I just said. 
that God doesn't see anything as meaningless. Before I drive this point home, I kind of want to focus on what the most of the words in this passage are about one thing. That's old age, getting old, coming to the end of one's natural life. It sort of makes sense and follows that as the teacher has walked us through everything else that has to do with life, money, pleasures, suffering, he kind of ends with this just talking about the natural progression of life, of getting, growing up, getting old, and ultimately dying. November 1st, my great-grandmother passed away at the age of 99 years old. That's an incredible age to get to live to. She got to see most of the 20th century. You know, she was alive when the U.S. dropped bombs on Hiroshima, and she also saw when the World Trade Centers fell. Um, Lived through so much, saw so much, did so much. The last 30-plus years, she also needed a cane. She had hearing aids. She needed glasses. The last several years of her life were filled with body aches and pains, UTIs, strokes, cancer diagnoses. Um, She wasn't even allowed to eat some of her favorite foods in the last few years of her life, including ham. She loved ham. They told her not to eat ham. She ate it anyway. But (laughs) she wasn't supposed to. Getting old is hard. (laughs) We all want long life, I think. But sometimes the troubles that come with getting to live extended lives is very difficult. That's what the teacher writes about in this passage here. Um, There's a lot of metaphor and analogy that he uses in chapter 12. I have the message version up here because I think it, it cuts through some of the metaphor that we might not understand as much. Here's what the message says for Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 7. Honor and enjoy your creator while you're still young. Before the years take their toll and your vigor wanes, before your vision dims and the world blurs, and the winter years keep you close to the fire. In old age, your body no longer serves you so well. Muscles slacken, grip weakens, joints stiffen. The shades are pulled down on the world. You can't come and go at will. Things grind to a halt. The hum of the household fades away. You are wakened now by birdsong. Hikes to mountains are a thing of the past. Even a stroll down the road has its own terrors. Your hair turns apple blossom white, adorning a fragile and impotent matchstick body. Yes, you are well on your way to eternal rest while your friends make plans for your funeral. (laughs) Isn't that fun? (laughs) It's... Humorous, but it's also true. My great-grandmother was supposed to be dead two years ago, and we kind of had the workings in the books for when she actually goes, here's what's going to happen. (laughs) Old age brings difficulty and brings its own sorrows and brings its own sufferings. And so if your goal in life is to just extend your years as long as possible, Ecclesiastes teaches us that You might want to rethink that a little bit because it might not be all that you hope it is. And so Koaleth, the teacher, keeps pointing us to this idea of remember your creator while you're young. 
follow God in the days of your youth. This gets repeated throughout chapter 11 and chapter 12. And it kind of makes you wonder why. Why is it better to follow God when we're young rather than just start following him when we're old? I think I have a couple bullet points I can just point out. Um, One is, first of all, you're young. Everybody's young at some point. You don't know if you're going to get old. So might as well follow him while you have today to call today. Um, When you're young, you still have your able body and able mind. Most of us have our able body and able mind to do work, to love others with actions or words or kindnesses. Once we get to a certain age, you can still serve God, but there comes to a point where people have to serve you to help make sure you get to where you're going, to make sure you're fed, to make sure you're not sitting in your own toilet sometimes. When you're young, those years set the course for the remainder of your life a lot of times. The decisions, the actions, the choices you make when you're young have impact for where you're going. Sometimes it's things that make sense that are big, like where are you going to move if you decide to stay at home and live near your family or move halfway across the world? That's going to make a lot of things for the rest of your life have a big outcome. What kind of jobs you have, um, who you date, if you decide to get married or not, if you decide to have kids or adopt, those have big life impacts. And so it's better to make these big decisions while you're walking with God. Um, and also just, it's good to walk with God. Like, I, I just want to like affirm that and say like, walking with God is a good thing. <laughs> like, it makes your victories greater, your sorrows sweeter, hope in the hard times. I'll be talking about that towards the end of this sermon, but just like, I don't know, you have the source of life and love who loves you and wants to guide you and wants to be with you, who will communicate with you, who wants to set you up for success. It's like the force, but better. Like, <laughs> so just, it's good. Um, and I think ultimately, like when I think about this question, I think about Leo Tolstoy. Leo Tolstoy, famous Russian author, um, philosopher, socialite, philanthropist. He was 50 years old. He came to the age of 50, and he was an atheist for the first 50 years of his life. And by the time he came to the age of 50, he thought that the questions which had nagged him most of his life about what's the purpose of life, is there anything after death, why are we here? He thought those would have sorted themselves out by the time he was 50, and he was 50 years old and realized they don't just work themselves out. You kind of have to find an answer to those questions. Leo Tolstoy found the answer for them. He had already been a successful author at this point. He found the answers to them in the Sermon on the Mount, the teachings of Jesus, and in looking at his peasant serfs who lived on his land and how they faced death much more admirably and with much more hope than any of his or his like rich upper-class friends did. So don't be like Tolstoy. He got to be a Christian. He got to serve God here on this earth. But it was less than half the years he actually lived total. If you think those questions are going to sort themselves out, they're not. So you might as well start investigating them now.
And so the teacher wants us to know and to remember that while you're young, it's best to serve God, that the days are coming when you're going to get old and the things on your mind are going to be the aches and pains that happen. But he ultimately points us to finding hope and happiness in the judgment of God. Maybe hope and happiness isn't the right phrase, but to remember that there's meaning because God is going to bring judgment. Every hidden thing, whether good or evil, while you're young, be happy, follow your heart in the days of your youth, do whatever your eyes see, but remember that for all these things, God will hold you accountable. Now, I think for a lot of us who have an idea of cosmic Santa Claus as God, that doesn't sound like good news. It sounds like we have to make sure we don't get on God's naughty list so we can avoid eternal torment. But I think this actually is good news, and hopefully by the end of my musings, you'll see what I mean. I think first of my great-grandmother, who died at 99 years old. I was asked to do the eulogy for her funeral. Um, I think mainly because I'm a pastor, not because I was particularly the closest of any of her grandkids or great-grandchildren, but... Um, <laughs> so I was asked to do the eulogy. And I agreed. And when I was asked, though, my sisters said to me, are you going to be okay giving our great-grandmother's eulogy? And their question wasn't, would I be too emotionally distraught to give the eulogy? It was more that me and my siblings and my parents all knew that my great-grandmother had really done some harmful things to my grandmother, her daughter, during her life. And my grandmother didn't have the greatest relationship with her because of those things. And so would I be okay giving a eulogy for someone who me and my family didn't necessarily deem as the best person on earth? And I said, of course, I'd be fine because I'm a peacemaker. But, <laughs> but my great-grandmother did things to all of her kids, which left some deep emotional scars which have impacted down through the generations. In my grandmother's eyes, for most of my life, my great-grandmother was seen as a villain. But my great-grandmother also loved God. She read her Bible every day. Oh, and this is just a little nugget of wisdom which she taught me, and I'll pass on to you since. My great-grandmother told me that you have to make sure you read your Bible, because if you don't, how do you know if the pastor doesn't lie to you at church? <laughs> so, if you think anything I'm saying up here is true, read it to make sure you know for yourselves. So, <laughs> so that's my great-grandmother's nugget of wisdom. But she loved God. She, she was part of Bible studies all her life. She prayed for everybody she knew. She volunteered in her community. Um, she always was making food or blankets for people in need. Uh, she never forgot a birthday or um, anniversary or without a phone call or card. And even though her kids resented her for different reasons, 
I heard stories from her about how she would play with them after school and the kinds of games they would play. And the sacrifices her and my great-grandfather had to make growing up in economically tough times to make sure that those kids survived and had a roof above their head. Days where maybe my great-grandparents went without food so the kids could eat. My great-grandmother, like all of us, can't be just lumped into good or bad as a category. Because my great-grandmother served her community and loved God and went to church, doesn't negate the fact that she manipulated and hurt my grandmother. But because she manipulated and hurt my grandmother, doesn't mean that every good thing and positive impact she had on the people in her 99 years is negated either. And so what do we do with this? At the end of the day, Ecclesiastes reminds us that God gets the ultimate say. My great-grandmother is now with the Lord, getting to hear how he decides how she lived. He looks at every deed, every action, every thought. And the God I believe in is going to make sure there's justice for my grandmother. But also love for my great-grandmother. Nothing is meaningless. God does not see anything as meaningless. Nothing goes unnoticed by him. We have an audience for all of our deeds. Jesus teaches us that we're to pray in secret and we're to give to others in secret. Like when we help the needy, we're to do it in secret. Because God sees the things that are done in secret. And again, I'm not saying beware cosmic Santa Claus because Christ gives us an example of the justice of God. That when he was on the cross being crucified, what did he say? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. What does Christ say we're to do to those who sin against us? Are we to seek vengeance or forgive? Forgive. Oh, thank you. (laughs) We're to forgive. And if God wants us to forgive, how generous his grace is. You know, how much more is he going to do for us? So I'm not trying to dismiss the previous passages in Ecclesiastes, because we need them too. We need them for when we are going through the hard times. And Ecclesiastes kept me in the faith when I was in high school and felt super depressed in that. Just opening the words of this book and seeing that the Bible says meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, helped me feel like I, there was still a place for me going through doubt and faith crises too. And so this matters to me that God doesn't see anything as meaningless because I need this in my life. I've needed it in the past. When I was in college, there was a month in my life where I just got lots and lots of bad news. One of my best friends from high school, his father passed away unexpectedly from, like he got diagnosed with leukemia and then died within like a two month period. While that happened, another kid who I went to high school with got diagnosed with cancer 
which ultimately would kill him within two years. And this was coming off a summer where one of my best friends from youth group had taken his own life. And so in the fall of my junior year of college, when all these things were happening, I felt like life was meaningless. I felt that things didn't matter. I'd look around at people around me having good times, going to parties, laughing. And I'd say, what's the point? What's the point of any of these laughters or parties or anything like that? Then I'd go to church and I'd say, what is the point of this? Because God clearly does not care about suffering. In that time period, I watched three people die way beyond or before what should have been their expected years. And I tell this story what happened next, how I came out of that slump, not because it's a particularly interesting story, because it's not, there's no climax or anything. The way I got out of that slump was I was feeling really depressed one night. I went on a walk around the neighborhood near my campus and there was a graveyard there. So I climbed the fence and just walked to the graveyard thinking about death and mortality and the meaninglessness of existence. And then there was a light that shined on a cross that like, the only light in the whole graveyard shined on a cross, and I felt a peace in my heart. And that's how I came out of that slump. And it's not a great story, but it meant a lot to me. And I think these moments, big and small, the things that we hold inside ourselves that we don't tell people, God sees and he ascribes meaning to. Go to that next slide, Kyle. This is the breastplate of St. Patrick, which is a prayer that St. Patrick has written, that he prayed. Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my left, Christ on my right, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I rise. What St. Patrick understood and what he's praying and what I'm hoping that we get is that Christ is over, under, and in every moment of our lives. And if Christ is in every moment of our lives, then that means that suffering is not only seen, but it is felt and empathized with because Christ became human and suffered with us. He died on the cross. It means that when injustice happens in this world, that we can have hope that it is going to be righted because Christ had injustice done against him. And it means that when we have good moments in life, when we have pleasures or contentment, or we find times where we're enjoying life, that can be celebrated and is worth even more because Christ came and was called a drunk and a glutton because he came to be with people and to celebrate good things too. Christ knows what it means to enjoy life. Christ knows what it means to suffer. And that's why walking with God, walking with Christ makes all the difference in life. I think if I hadn't had that moment in the graveyard, if I had decided to walk away from faith forever, I think eventually down the road it would have led me to the same place where I believe I'm at now. 
It would have meant that I'd end up in the arms of a father who didn't ask, or who would ask me, didn't I know how much he cared? But I think that staying with God, making the choices that I've made in life, then it become part of communities like redemption with you guys, makes the days easier. It makes those sorrows sweeter and the victories able to celebrate more. This is important, guys, just because, like myself in college, like, there's a lot of people who think there is no meaning. There's a lot of people who think that the things that happen in this life don't ultimately matter. That there's no one there who cares. That when we experience suffering or loss, that we have to shoulder it on our own. And that even the moments, the best moments in your life, if you win the Oscar or hit your personal triumph in whatever field you're in or just whatever your goal is that you've worked years and years and years for, and you get there, you wake up the next day and you realize that life moves on. And there's a day after that and a day after that and a day after that. And people will forget and nobody ultimately really cares. And so people are left with this void And it's those people that I hope understand that God does care. That God doesn't see anything as meaningless. I'm just going to repeat myself here, but God sees the goodness and the joy and he delights because he made us in his image. In the image of the one who made the earth and who celebrated it on the seventh day and rested in it. God sees the hurt and God sees the injustice that's done against you. He will make it right. And so I offer this, if you have been the victim of anything, like my grandmother, abuse or just injustice in life, whether it comes from your job or from people in your family or people that you know, if they've been hurt in any ways, God sees that and he is going to make it right one day. And one of the kind of paradoxes, though, is that God loves you and is going to take care of your, the way you've been wronged. But part of that might be through loving your oppressors, too. God loves those who hurt us. And so we might have to find peace in seeing our assailants dealt justice in the cross of Christ. My grandmother might ultimately have to find peace with her mother through knowing that Christ died for my great-grandmother's sins and took her punishment for her. And so in the words of Jesus, paraphrased, if your grace is large, God's grace for you is large too. The more that we forgive and hold, don't hold things against others, the more we'll be forgiven. Because none of us is perfect. And if you're not perfect, though, if you are doing wrong, if you're not compensating your workers fairly, or you're creating hostile environments in your personal life with gossip, anger, or slander, if you dehumanize others with the ways you sexualize or treat them, Stop. Just stop. <laughs> because God doesn't see anything as meaningless. If you're living in what the Bible would call sin, just stop. They've been paid for in Christ. Come to him. 
He's going to see everything done in secret anyway, so it's not like you're hiding anything. Just let, just come to him, repent, and know that he cares. I know that he's going to make it right. Okay. Before I just keep talking circles forever. I want to remember what the teacher did say, which is that uh, of the making of books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. And so everything comes to an end, Ecclesiastes teaches us, even the book of Ecclesiastes. So we're at the end of this sermon series. Personally, I've really enjoyed it and learned a lot. And just getting to... It's really been helpful in my personal life to just hear each week the sermons. And so I encourage you to go back and listen to some of them on the podcast. Uh, as life moves on and you face different times where wealth or suffering or pleasure seem meaningless, we'll have those resources for you. Um, but yeah, we can't talk about it forever because... It will ultimately not bring us where we need to be. The editor says, go touch grass. Go enjoy your life a little bit. And just trust that God is going to do everything. So in conclusion, remember that life is like a vapor. So just focus on the things that you find important. Enjoy the good times while you have them. Be prepared for the times of sorrow. Don't put too much hope in finding meaning in pleasure or religion because... Those things ultimately won't get you there, but knowing God will. Knowing that, just know in life you will get screwed over. Do good anyway. Love the people you have in your life. Love God. And know that he sees everything you do. Anyway, go follow him. Take some time to talk to a neighbor about one of these questions, whichever one sticks out to you the most. What events or moments in your life are you tempted to believe that God doesn't care about? Like, where do you think God was absent so and wasn't there in the ways that you thought you needed him? Where do you need to cry out? Where do you need to enjoy things and rest? And if God sees everything and doesn't see anything as meaningless, then even the small things, the phone calls, the prayers, all matter to him. So what small ways can you serve God or your neighbor this week? To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.